from him who loved us and has freed us to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear Christian friends, over the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at the, the book of Colossians and, and how the, the theme, the current that runs through all of it is that Jesus is everything. And the Bible uses a, a term for that. The term is called the gospel, right? The word gospel simply means good news, but when the Bible uses it, really, if you've been here the last couple of weeks or you listen to the podcast, you heard us define it. It's not just like some good news, it's the good news that Jesus has done everything to save me, to save you. That Jesus is everything for our salvation. And today we're going to take a look at how that is really true for our salvation and for our lives as well. Because this idea that Jesus is everything... Well, sadly, that wasn't the only teaching, the only idea floating around in the ancient city of Colossae. When these words were written, there were other ideas, there were other teachings that were, that were being circulated by people who called themselves Christians that Jesus isn't actually everything. That if you wanted to have a richer a fuller, a more fulfilling faith, a more dynamic faith, to use a buzzword today, a more relevant faith, well, there was something more. You needed more wisdom, more knowledge. You needed to follow certain traditions. Or you need to put in more effort on your own. There was something more besides just Jesus. And that's why, really, no matter what section of Colossians that you read or that we study, like this beautiful thread flows through the whole entire thing because Paul wants everybody, the the guy who God used to write these words, he wants everybody to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is everything for our salvation. And that's a really important thing because, well, that undercurrent that there's something more. Well, that's not only wasn't, it wasn't just limited to ancient Colossae, there's still an undercurrent of that today, even in Christian circles in America. And it's, we get it, don't we? Because it appeals to who we are by nature, that we want to be involved. We think we need to have a, an, a say, an effort, a, a piece of our own salvation. And it's a uniquely, it's a particularly American idea, this idea that you can accomplish your dreams, right? Well, if I want to be saved, if I want to go to heaven, all I need to do is fill in the blank. That I can pick myself up by my own bootstraps and I can, I can make my own way. But you can't. And God wants us to understand that very clearly. We can't and we don't need to. Because Jesus is everything. And today we see that that's the case, that Jesus is everything and he has the power, it's his power that changes us. It changes our status before God and it changes our hearts, our minds, our lives. Let's look at Colossians 1, beginning at verse 21. It starts off saying, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, 
because of your evil behavior. Now, that's a strong way to start this section, right? That's, those are some, like, emotionally charged words. And to be honest, nobody really likes them. We don't want to hear that. We, no, it can't be that bad. We want to poo-poo this. We want to downplay this. That You know, okay, yeah, I don't always do exactly what God says. Maybe not perfectly, but... I'm not that bad. And it's actually that thinking that leads to the idea that Jesus isn't everything. Because if you aren't a broken mess, if you aren't unable to save yourself, well then, yeah, Jesus is nice. Like, I I want him and I'm going to need him sometimes, but you know, a bunch of the time I can, I'll figure it out myself. I can work my way out of this. I can balance the scales. I can do enough good things. And God says, no, you can't. Because look at who we were. You were alienated from God. Now we hear that term and the word alien obviously pops out and we go, oh, but what kind of alien were we? Because I think we want to pretend that we were this kind of alien. You know, Stitch from Lilo and Stitch. Because Stitch is like this fun-loving character. I mean, yeah, he does, he does a lot of destructive things. He makes a mess out of a lot of situations. But he's not mean-spirited. He's just ah, all over the place. And he's so cute and lovable. I mean, come on. And we want to think, yeah, that's the kind of alien that I am to God. I'm cute and I'm lovable. I may make a mess of things, but that's not really so bad. And God says, that's not the kind of alien you are. You aren't anything like Stitch. You're more like this guy. That's the alien from Independence Day. So when I watched that movie with my kids, not all that long ago, even though they saw the end of the movie where the good guys defeat all the aliens, they're all gone, they're all dead, that alien freaked them out so bad that they had nightmares. Because it is a scary-looking creature. And if you saw the movie, their purpose is even scarier. Because they came here as harvesters, right? And they came to wipe out all life on the planet and to make it their own. And that's actually where we pretty much resemble that guy. Not just because we're not attractive, but because our purpose is to, well, we want to make life on this planet what we want it to be, not what God wants it to be. We want it to be on our terms, not his terms. We want this to be mine, not his. And God has a problem with that, right? It's why when he says we were alienated from God, look, the re- look at the result You were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Now notice, carefully, God does not say he considered you his enemy. He says that you consider God an enemy. Ooh. Because of our sin, 
because of our failings, because we are alienated from God, separated from him, because we want things on our terms, because we do things that God says are wrong and we know it. And we know that God holds us accountable to it. And we know that we don't deserve anything good from him. We don't deserve a drop of his love, an ounce of his grace. We deserve destruction. And you know what that means? I don't really want to know about God. Because that's scary. Because I do things that he says are wrong, and I don't want to hear from him that that's wrong. I don't want to know what I deserve. I would just rather be my own God. And that's what we try to do, isn't it? That's what the world does. That's who we were. That we were aliens to God. We were foreign, strange, weird, ugly creatures. And that makes us, in our minds, it makes God our enemy. That's our first takeaway this morning. A really sobering thought that my sin makes me think God is my enemy. That's a scary thought, isn't it? If I, because if I want to be friendly towards God, I have to acknowledge I've done something wrong. I have to admit that he is God. And I'm not. See, that's who we were. That's how we were born into this world. That's who everyone is apart from Jesus. So look what God did. Verse 22. That's who we were, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. But now, before, that's what we were, but now, look what he says, he has reconciled you. So keep in mind, we thought God was our enemy. God looked at us and saw ugly, foreign, rotten, doing everything opposed to him, creatures. But God did something that defies logic and it defies reason. He loved us. And so he wanted us to, to, bring, to bring us back to him. He wanted to bring us back together. And if you ever have been involved in any kind of like a, a legal separation or friends that, that drifted apart, right, to be reconciled, to come back together, well, usually both parties need to do something, to meet in the middle, so to speak. But notice who did the work. He. He has reconciled you. God did all of the work. He, he didn't make us meet in the middle. He did all the work. And notice how he did it. By Christ's physical body through death. Whoa. Because see, God 
God didn't say, okay, if you just like work hard enough, if you just do the right thing and balance this out, if, if you just fix your karma, I'm going to give you a little tough love. You're going to have to meet me part way. But if you do, nope. He died. He died. That was the real cost. He didn't just like wave a magic wand and say, sin's gone. Because sin has a cost. Sin requires a payment, a punishment, because it's breaking the law. And that payment was made, the punishment was met in Christ's physical body through death. Jesus paid it all, a a real cost, a high cost. And Jesus paid it all for you, for me, for our sin. And he did so, look look at the result, that he might present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. What a cool, cool picture that God wants you to be blemish free. And that doesn't mean like, you know, no more spots and no more wrinkles and I don't need to find just the right shade of concealer and just the perfect makeup. It means that you stop having to try to pretend that your anger is okay because it's all their fault. If they hadn't done this, then I would have been angry. It means that you don't have to to hide your hurtful words behind a veil of sarcasm. It means that you don't have to think in your own head that you hold on to thoughts of hatred and envy and and lust and think that that's okay because it's not and God sees it all he knows it all and, and no matter how hard we try to cover up our blemishes we can't but notice what he tells us that because of Christ's physical death his physical body into death that God looks at you and he doesn't see a bunch of blemishes. He doesn't even see your attempt to cover them up. He sees blemish-free, spotless. Because Jesus took all of those blemishes, all of those failings, all of those sins, and he paid for them all. All of them. That's the good news. That's the gospel that Jesus has done everything. And it brings us to our next takeaway, that the power of Jesus' death for me, means God only sees me as blemish-free. And because God sees me as blemish-free, because I know, because of what God has done for me, I, I trust Jesus is my Savior. Like, it changes how I view God as well. I don't see him as an enemy anymore. I see him as a God who loves me more deeply and more profoundly than I could even imagine. And then he tells you and he tells me that that we have a purpose, a mission in life, and it's to, to then make him known for all the people in the world that still think he's their enemy, that see God and think enemy. God says, I want you to change that. I want you to let people know that I'm not the enemy, that I love them. And that's what he says in the next verses, beginning in verse 24. 
Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what's still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. If you're like most people, you probably heard the first words of that section, verse 24, and you went, wait a minute. Because it kind of sounds like it's saying Jesus isn't everything. That there, it sounds like there's something that's lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. And that is kind of what it sounds like. The thing is that can't possibly be the case because it would, it would contradict everything else in the rest of the book, really in the rest of the Bible. That clearly is not what Paul is saying. And what doesn't come across super clearly in English is that Paul has switched. He is no longer talking about what Jesus has done for him. He's now talking about what it looks like as he goes out as a missionary, as a messenger, a servant of God into the world. So he talks about how God has sent him on this mission with this purpose to go and make Jesus known. And what a cool privilege and opportunity that is. But it's not without a cost. It shouldn't be a surprise. Jesus had told his disciples, if the world hates you, they're going to hate, or if the world hates him, excuse me, the world is going to also hate you when you come in his name. Like it's not just going to be sunshine and rainbows as a Christian. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. There's going to be suffering and affliction simply because you are a Christian. You come in the name of Jesus. Now, Paul recognized that that suffering, though, is nothing. Peanuts compared to what Jesus suffered. And, and this is the guy who, he was arrested, he was beaten multiple times, he was stoned to the point that they thought he was dead. And when he wrote these words, he was actually chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, seven days a week, under house arrest in Rome. Like He knew what it was to suffer for, for the good news, the message of Jesus. But he said that it's nothing compared to Jesus, compared to what he suffered the wrath of God, hell itself. That's not what we're talking about. He has made the full payment. There's nothing lacking there. But there is going to continue to be affliction and suffering and trial and difficulty for as long as Christians are on this earth. There is going to be hardship because we are Jesus' followers. And so while we get to look forward to an eternity that is completely free from suffering, until we're there, that's not going to be the case. But that wasn't going to stop Paul, because he had a mission, he had a purpose, and he, he restated it twice in this section, right? It's to tell you, to present to you the, the Word of God in its fullness. 
and to make known the glorious riches of the mystery that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, Paul's mission and his purpose was to show God who he, to show who God really is. Not an enemy, but a God who so loved the world, the whole world, a bunch of aliens, that he sent his own son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life with him. See, Paul got to make known who God is and what God has done and what that means, that we have an eternal and living hope that even though we face difficulty and suffering, even though we, we fail and we fall short, God loves and God forgives because Jesus died to pay for sin and he rose from the dead to prove he had conquered sin and death. So Paul has that mission. But did you notice that he gives it to you too? He does so in a sneaky way. Like, it's real subtle. But he changes pronouns. He says, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. See, you and I, we have the same mission that Paul had. It's a really simple mission. It's to make Christ known. Or, to put it another way, our third takeaway, my mission, that everyone knows that Jesus is everything. Now that sounds simple, doesn't it? I mean, how hard is it to tell him Jesus, right? Sunday school children do it beautifully sometimes. The problem is that we, especially the older you get, become a little more self-conscious. And we know that there are people who view God as the enemy and not everyone is going to be excited or receptive or interested, even in the least, to hear about him. And that can make us nervous. It can make us hesitant. It can even make us downright reluctant to share the name of Jesus, to witness to who God is and what he's done. To keep that word of God to ourselves. Right? Paul said our, our, our job, his job, is to, to make known the fullness of the word of God. God wants us to to share his design for life, his, his design for sex and sexuality and marriage, his plan in giving you the blessings and the, the possessions that he's given you. He wants you to share how he sees the world and how he wants us to see it and think about other people and about him. He wants us to know all of those things and to share them he wants us to make him known by forgiving. And let's be honest, we aren't always great at that, and sometimes we just downright stink at it. So how in the world are we going to admonish and teach with all wisdom? Let me give you an example. There, well, before I do, there is actually a secret the secret, though, is, is actually really simple, and it's not to try harder. It's a secret that, that Paul understood, and it's a secret that Paul shared. Did you catch it? In the end of verse 29, to this end, that we may teach everyone about Jesus, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. 
The word energy in Greek is literally energy, and the powerfully works is energizes. Isn't that a cool thought? That God literally energizes you through Jesus. Now my example. So imagine that you, somebody you know, hurts you. It's not a difficult concept to to think of, is it? Now, this isn't somebody that you have a super great relationship with. We're friends, we know each other, da-da-da-da-da, but, but we're not like super tight. And so, so this could go one of two ways, right? At least the way the world says. Somebody hurts me, path one, I'm going to hurt you back. I'm going to look for a way to get back. Or path two, I'm going to hold on and let that anger and hurt fester and burn, and I'm going to hate you, but I'm never going to tell you. I'm just going to cut you out of my life. Those aren't really solutions because they don't ever deal with the problem. And God has a, a much different and a much better process for dealing with this. He, he puts it on display repeatedly throughout his word. But here, to use the words that he gives in this section, he wants us to admonish and to teach with all wisdom, right? And to make Christ known. And so we, he wants us to go to them and, and, and explain to them, not accusing, but showing them, hey, that was, that hurt, that impacted me, that offended me, that bothered me. And then he wants us to forgive. Now, is that easy? Oh, no. Is it something that my sinful heart, your sinful heart says, yes, I really want to do that? Not a chance. It is really difficult. So how in the world are you going to get from I know this to I do this? How are you going to live forgiveness? How are you going to live fighting temptation? How are you going to live sharing the word of God, the good news of Jesus, when when you know there are people that don't want to hear it? Because we have all these barriers of sin in our heart that we know that it, God wants it up here, but man, getting it, getting it into action is really tough. But let's go back to the secret. The secret is Christ. Jesus is everything. He is the power, the energy working in me. And that sounds a little bit like mystical or esoteric, right? Ooh, I can feel his energy. It's not like that. Let me tell you instead what happens when you crack open your Bible. Let me tell you what happens when you come and hear God's word here together. When you hear the promises of God, when you go back to the cross and you see your mountain of sin, all of those gross and grotesque things that you have thought and said and done, and they're heaped on Jesus, and he cries out, it is finished, and pays for them all. And not one of them comes back to you. When you open the word of God and you see page after page after page after page of God loves me, Jesus died for me. When you see time and time again, what an amazing thing it is when God says, I took that water and I connected it to my word and through that I made you mine. 
You are my child, and no one can ever take that away. Oh. See, that's what gives us energy. It's, it's not do, do, do. It's Jesus did. Christ is everything. That's what energizes me. When I'm, when I'm filled up with what God has done for me, I want to live for him. I want to make him known. I want to forgive as he's forgiven. I want to show the love that he has shown me. I want to serve the way he serves me. See, that's how Jesus literally energizes you and me through the gospel. The good news that Jesus has done everything. And that's our last takeaway this morning. That when God reminds me that Jesus is everything, it energizes me to live for him and to make him known. God energizes you and me through his word. So when you're struggling, when you're hurting, when you're going, man, I'm not sure I can do this. This is really tough. Here's the solution. It's not try harder. It's listen. It's see again the beauty and the depth of God's love for you. That Christ is everything. That Jesus has done it all. That he sees me as blemish-free even when I fail. And I get to make him known to a world that thinks he's their enemy but a world that he loves and that he died for. And I want them to know the beauty of God and the love of God and the glory of God. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. That's what energizes us. And I pray that God gives you that energy today as you leave here, every time you open the Bible, every time you listen to his word, that I want to live for him because the power of Christ is what changes my heart and my status before God. Amen.